Lisa Ailes here with Annabelle Crab. Um, we're very excited, super excited. Are you going to do what I think you're going to do? Certainly am. I thought the <laughs> listeners might appreciate the audio. I've been waiting so we can do this. All right. Crab has just shown up at my house. Have a listen to this. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, that's the sound of new season Veep. <laughs> that's right, episode one. Crab has very generously shown up. I've just gotten home from work, hosting 7.30. Crab has shown up with a lovely basket full of delicious soup. What sort of soup is it? It is a um, curry sweet potato soup. Yum. Um, and some yummy crusty bread. And optimistically, two bottles of alcohol. I know, two bottles of wine, which I know, I know just really shows me up for who I am, but also... I felt that um, some sparkling wine might be in order um, in a, a sort of, you know, modest way for what we're celebrating, which is a new season of such a fabulous television series. And, but then I also thought maybe it was not appropriate to drink with sweet potato soup. So I guess we'll have a glass of champagne and then carelessly dash the bottle on the footpath. Oh, I don't think so. I'm happy to have... But look, I'll have champagne with anything. I don't even think I need to heat the soup because it's just, just come off your oven. It just came out oh, of my pressure cooker. Imagine. And I've got to say, it's like it's just started on a really like cold snap yes. tonight. It's bloody freezing. Mm. And um, I have dusted off my um, pressure cooker and that soup took about... 16 minutes to make. Oh, fantastic. And I'm further going to bore you on the topic of the soup because it's possibly the easiest soup in the world to make and one of my favourites. Mm. All you do is an onion, maybe three or four sweet potato, peeled sweet potato, just cut it up into rough chunks, um, dice the onion, um, soften the onion in a little bit of oil and then add um, about two teaspoons full of red curry paste just from a jar. And then, soften, 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 chuck in the chunks of sweet potato, just sort of make sure it's all coated. Then Ooh. add enough water or stock to cover the sweet potato. Yeah. And then secure your pressure cooker, or if you're <laughs> just, you know, one of those tragic souls who doesn't have one, as I was up until about a year ago when I became this insufferable yeah, bore. Um, <laughs> then just cook it until it's all soft, and then vitamise it with a stick blender or something like that, and then just add a little bit of fish sauce, a little bit of lime juice, and a can of coconut milk, and there you've got a kind of like a Thai curry-scented sweet potato soup. It is awesome. It's like a little health camp happening um, in And ladies Sorry and gentlemen, I'm going to tell you what a good friend she is, because not only has she brought the soup in a thing... And vats of booze, yeah. Vats of booze. She brought me a little thing to stick in my freezer full of a beef casserole, and... A little snack, you know, glad bag filled with dried shallots and coriander for you to sprinkle on top of our soup. Correct. What a legend. I won't hear a bad word about it. Not until after I've left it. <laughs> um, now, uh, that was just to set the scene, but I also want to ask you about one additional thing before we watch V, which is, right before I went on air, yeah. you tweeted a story um, that I decided not to read because I thought it would be more entertaining <laughs> to hear you explain it to me. The headline was United Airlines in another major PR disaster because the world's biggest rabbit has died on a United Airlines flight. Well, what I rather overexcitedly tweeted world's largest rabbit dies on United flight. And, like, look, the terrible thing that caught my attention, as if the story were not already sufficiently attention-grabbing, was that it was... I'm sorry, but it was, it was flying to O'Hare... <laughs> 
Chicago. I know it's wrong to laugh about the dead rabbit because the dead rabbit is obviously... <laughs> it was named Simon, which somehow makes it wow. more poignant. That sounds like... Like, if you told me there's a rabbit and it's named Simon, I would visualise a fat rabbit. Yeah, well, you got it right. <laughs> so this rabbit was three feet long. <laughs> and the tragic thing is, it was being flown from some breeder in the UK to... And I mean, I'm sorry, again, I apologise, <laughs> rabbit mothers everywhere, but um, it was uh, had been sold by this breeder to a collector right. in Chicago who was referred to as famous throughout... Unnamed, but famous. A collector of rabbits or... Yes. Right. Apparently it made it just so much worse that the owner who had bought it was famous. And this woman had shipped it, like, on an, I think, unaccompanied, you know, on a United flight. In its own seat or in the cargo hold? I believe it was in the cargo it was in the cargo hold. Are um, we certain? Because it is United Airlines, and I'd like to remind people, this is the airline that just had the mother of all PR yeah. disasters because they dragged that dude off the yeah. plane. Apparently the rabbit was kicked off because there were some United-employed <laughs> rabbits that needed that seat. That's why he was in the cargo hold. He should have been in the main aircraft. Yeah. Get and going so banging what, on about patients he had to see in the morning, apparently. Is he like one of those... Like, yeah, yes. Was yes. there something wrong... <laughs> The yes. rabbit that it was so large? Like, why was it so large? There was nothing wrong. Everything was right with that rabbit. <laughs> why was it gigantic? It was, it's like one of those massive giant rabbits. Oh. I didn't are... even know that was a thing. Oh my God. Oh. There's like, where have you been when all of these internet <laughs> memes have... Did you see the one about the big chicken? No. Oh. A real big chicken. <laughs> okay, I'm going to find that one and show it to you because... The big, uh, um, don't let me get distracted from Simon because it's still funny, <laughs> but also I'm still also looking for a big chicken. I reckon our listeners um, love it when we start Googling stuff. It's oh, such, yeah. it's so, it works so well for an I actually here. use a different search engine. Sorry. <laughs> What's at the ABC? Never yeah, so Simon um, doesn't have some congenital rabbit disorder that made no, him mate, like he an is elephant He's a giant rabbit. rabbit. But right. the great thing about Simon is that on, the, on reading the fine print of the yarn, it turns out he's not currently the world's biggest rabbit. Oh. Um, he is projected to be <laughs> the world's biggest rabbit. Well, not I'm not even joking about that. Um, he's projected to be the world's biggest rabbit because his dad was enormous. Because oh. his dad was like four foot long. Does his dad have the record? Um, yes, I believe so. Oh. Uh, and the, the dad is named seriously like Nathan or something. <laughs> Just like a funny family of... Oddly named large rabbits. What is um, sort of anthropomorphic giant rabbit? And why? How did it die? I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't get to the. Okay, there's the big rat, big chicken. Look at it. Look at it. Oh. <laughs> I know, right? That <laughs> is just. I know. Speechless. <laughs> that is like. That's an emu. Uh huh. Mm hmm. That's a person in a chicken costume, isn't it? I don't know. What about the size of its feet? I haven't looked into it. That is just... I was in question time a few weeks ago. Also, why has that only had 22 views? That's got to be sus, right? That's the the video that I saw. I first saw that. Why am I Australia's leading investigative journalist? Exactly. You asked a tough question. (laughs) Oh, my God. So um, I was shown that in question time a couple of weeks ago by Rob Harris, Mm -hmm. the Herald Sun, Mm -hmm. who just, without a word of warning, (laughs) said it over and showed And I just lost, (laughs) absolutely lost it lost it and then wow. and then I tweeted possibly incautiously Rob Harris has just shown me a giant cock in question time 
them in the link. And just, I don't think it was a, it wasn't a family moment. <laughs> I didn't even know that novelty-sized animals was a thing. Does it work? Like like a... Are there tiny elephants out there that are the size of like a kitten? <laughs> well, you've got a real future in novelty pet design. <laughs> All those hours you spent Highland dancing as a kid really haven't, you know, helped, have they? I love how you work that into it when it's just got nothing to do with anything. The shop. You brought me dinner. You've got a, we've got a lot of leeway tonight. I know. Like. Now, we haven't even started. I haven't even had a sip of my champagne, I don't think. I know, neither have I. I've been trying to look at giant chickens and stuff. All right, well, now we've filled up 8 minutes 43 seconds with just nonsense. That is tragic because there are lots of things to discuss <laughs> and none of them have been discussed. Oh, no, right. I've already shared a recipe, so. True. And directed people to a giant chicken on the internet. If that's not value for money, listeners... I don't know what is. Um, all right, well, we're going to pause now while we watch Veep. Also, I'm hoping my children are asleep because the little one, as soon as he heard you, came running up. I love um, that kid. Anyway, he's disappeared now and it's suspiciously quiet. We went to the football at the weekend and um, I brought a small wagon for children to ride in. Your child was just like the monster of the roads. He's like, I'm getting in that. Yeah, I'm getting as soon in as that. he saw it, he I'm knew riding he was all getting the way. In it. And also, he loves you even more now because I said, because um, I couldn't be bothered to walk to the novelty giant jumping castle, you're not going on it. And then you took all the kids and he got to go. Yeah. So and he now loves you more than his own crab, I want to get in your big red thing. I went, all right, kid. <laughs> no worries. Um, all right, well, let's pause. Mm. We'll finish our dinner. We'll watch it. We'll come back soon. Okay. We'll be spared all these chomping noises. Well, hi. Well, hi. We're back. Oh, I'm of smoke. <laughs> Just having a ruminative post-veep cigarette. Not really. No, we don't um, smoke. Uh, so, veep, a first episode, as profane as ever. Uh, I more mean, so, if possible. possibly more so. Um, and just... The creative profanity is just... I mean, they've got to have fun coming up with that, right? Right. And, but isn't, I mean, the US is all sort of a bit anti-extreme profanity, isn't it? And yet yeah. somehow it sort of rolls on its merry way. I guess it's on HBO. So, yeah, I guess so. You can um, just say anything you like that. Get away with it. Um, look, I when it started and you saw all of the characters and what they're doing now, it did make me think, oh, I've missed you guys. It was <laughs> yeah. great to sort of um, see them. And I mean, it for Gary mainly. I oh, look, I was about to say exactly the same thing. Gary is just, that Tony Hale is just a genius. The man is a genius. He, because it's all often just in the facial gestures and the body language, yep. what he's doing. He has so few lines, really. And mm. sometimes there's just a little wounded bird sound that he makes, which is just <laughs> so beautiful. I've often wondered if for the role he has studied some sort of bird because he does look quite bird-like. He's yeah. got a bird-like quality to his face, which I like think he him. plays up. <laughs> yeah, I do, actually. He's a large bird, yeah. like that chicken earlier. <laughs> oh, beautiful segue. <laughs> Back to giant yeah. animals. Um, look, it, it never ceases to amaze me with Veep how utterly inappropriate it is too. Like, the humour is just... It's like a punch in the guts. Like every now and again, you just you think that can't be on television. That can't be on television. But how how is it that they can say stuff and get away with it? It doesn't create a scandal. I because if know. I said any of those things on seven thirty, yeah. I'd be just run out of town. Pretty sure. Yeah. If you tried any of those. <clears throat> 
let's give it a go, shall we? On the Racial epithets or... It was, yeah, pretty... Yeah. Um, anyway, it's, uh, it's good. Would you say it's on form? It's certainly... It's a bit more eclectic mm. than it usually feels. And I suppose that's because you don't have the discipline organising feature of an office to run right? yeah so they've clearly like spun out like there's a bit of Joni Loves Chachi um yeah R.I.P. Aaron Morris <laughs> yeah um so it feels a bit like it's been put into a centrifuge it does a bit that's a really good way of describing it I also thought the last season was just so stellar that yeah. it's a hard act to follow it's because it had an organizing principle mm. and so now the Anna Klomsky character is like shagging some gubernatorial campaign you know mm -hmm. individual which doesn't seem quite no. convincing. Selena's out of office, of course. She's just playing drunken backgammon um, with Gary <laughs> in the house of her daughter who has inherited all of her mother's money and is now um, has installed Marjorie, Selena's former bodyguard, uh, as head of the Maya Foundation. In fact, the happiest person now is Gary because he's finally where he wants to be, which is Selena's sort of not the centre of attention anymore, yeah. but Gary's still right by her side, just getting getting more and more of it. Um, yeah, look, I'll be curious to see how they develop it. I mean, they're going to have to find a way, because you, you can't have these characters on individual story arcs. No. They all have, must revolve around yeah. her. Yeah. Uh, so I'll be curious to see how they actually bring that back. And they are starting to reassemble. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, great to see them. And Julia Louis-Dreyfus, there was a piece in the New Yorker ages ago. Brenda, this is going to be a tough one for you to find. It Brenda just, will find it. Brenda will find it because she's a legend. Um, if you like Brenda's work, visit it at chat10looks3.com. Oh my God, you're a machine. Um, leave us a review on iTunes if you like us. Um, follow us on Twitter at chat10looks3. Uh, I didn't even feel it going in. <laughs> um, there was a piece in the New Yorker that was talking about how brilliant Julia Louis-Dreyfus is in this, and it described her as, I can't remember the exact words, but it... it Ooh, not even the exact words. It, no. This is a challenge. She's <laughs> facing the bar for you, Brenda. Um flashing her smile with her shark teeth yeah. and every time I look at her now I just go look at those shark teeth like she just whoever described her in that manner um nailed it I thought so yes very enjoyable thank you very much for um coming around with some champagne what about too. um there's that scene where she's encouraging her remaining staff to find her as many lucrative paid speaking gigs as possible <laughs> and there's just the most terrible string of just dreadful she's like Tell them I'll jump out of a cake with wearing nothing but a rosette cl a clip to my saggy old woman tits. Like it's just, it's just, it just goes on and on and on. And it's just, oh, God, dreadful. I wonder if when they're filming, when the director says cut, if everyone just breaks up laughing. I think that would be a, a, have to a good be. outtake show. Um, I, I think I've said this in the podcast before, but I'm also amazed with this show. It's actually quite a large ensemble. Yeah. And not for one second do you feel like any of them are sort of doubling up a bit and, oh, you know, Dan and Amy are sort of the same character, you get rid of one of them. Like, they all feel so distinct in yeah. their different um, roles in the ensemble. So, yeah, I really enjoy that. Uh, what else have you been reading? What else have you been doing? Um, well, I brought you a book, actually, uh, oh, for your bookshelf. Mm-hmm. Wow, I don't speak Mandarin. <laughs> it's not Mandarin, it's Korean, actually. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, um, right. Hang on, it's the wife drought. <laughs> I just... Oh, wow. 
I don't know what it was that made me tweet that it was the wife drought. Um, I don't know either because it's all in Korean and I don't speak Korean or read it. Um, but yeah, so um, I, th- that's my book in Korean and I love it uh, so much and I can't read a word of it, but it's a really attractive book. The... So I thought you'd love to have it on your bookshelves <laughs> forever. Have you inscribed it? Oh, I haven't actually, but I can. I just don't want to... <laughs> be humiliated in some Korean second-hand book exchange. Wow. What other countries is it available in? Uh, none other. It's in English and Korean. Oh, that's it. Wow. I know, right? So is there something about the message that resonates particularly with Koreans? Well, you know, Korea is actually a country where the um, division of labour, domestic work between men and women is, like, incredibly... Um, uh, unequal. Right. Um, also, there's a, just a terrible birth rate issue in Korea. Like people, like women do not have babies in Korea. Um, mm. And in fact, it got so bad and weird there in terms of national birth rate that um, a couple of years back, the South Korean government um, issued this edict where they um, got workplaces to send employees home early which is like you know 7 p.m or something mm. um so that they could go home and make sweet love and procreate children because the national birth rate is at such crisis levels <laughs> wow um that's interesting i did a couple of um interviews for the um release of this this book and um in korean women that, no <laughs> um and i talked to a couple of young female journalists who are all like, oh, no, 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 I, I wouldn't have um, children because um, I don't really want to be... Um, Stuck at home. Right. Doing, yeah, menial labour. Um, anyway. Wow. I we do... don't need to talk about this at any length. No, I just the, wanted um... to freak you out with the visual gag of this book. Well, it is actually quite... Because now I've been... While you've been talking, I've been flicking through it just to see if there's any bits of English. And a couple of things have caught my attention. One is I really like the cover. I know. It's good, isn't it? Yeah. Which is... A, it's totally different to the Australian edition, which is a house that's got full of little sort of bits and pieces. Um, but the other thing that caught my eye... So in the front flap is a photo of you, and I presume that that's your biography. Or or a a blurb about the book, maybe. I'm intensely rude that I can't. But in the back cover, I think they've advertised another book, and because I can't read Korean, I don't know what it is, but the cover illustration is like a man holding his arms up in a muscly sort of rocky-type pose. So what could that possibly be? I don't know. Andrew Bolt's memoirs? (laughs) I have no idea. I don't know. Anyway, that's sort of interesting. Well, you're already more... Um, should I put it in the bin now or later? <laughs> Anytime you like. Um, I have been um, reading Work Strife Balance by Mia Friedman. Ah, yes, I too have read that. Um, look, I thoroughly enjoyed it and I am a fan of hers and I never can understand why she seems to be polarising and some people really love her and some people really hate her because I find her to be personally a great and funny chick and I really like her writing style and I admire her um, entrepreneurialism, whatever the word is. And um, also I like her writing style. I think she's got guts because she's so open. As she says herself, no filter. It's just full disclosure. Yeah. It's a pretty... It's, I don't really know anyone quite like her, actually. Like, she is um, sort of impulsive and maximum download 
but also is this quite extraordinary entrepreneur. And it's really mm. hard to have those two things happen together. Like most people, if they encounter a bit of sort of corporate success, become a bit buttoned down and yeah. cautious. And like people have essentially staked their own money in their own business and kind of grown it really aggressively, they usually shut down other areas of risk in their lives. Mm. And, um, Interesting. Yeah. and she is just like a, she's a great risk taker, mm. but also it's, she also is a sort of smart risk taker because she is, has got this quite extraordinary brand that I think is sort of enhanced by that particular attribute. But I mean, for instance, in that book, um, and I too found it massively readable, um, like there is a, a chapter or a passage about her um, bulimia mm. that is the most kind of gripping and raw account mm. of that particular eating disorder I think I've ever read. Mm. It's really, really graphic and... Um, abandoned and really authentic. There was another bit like that that I liked. I wish I had it here in front of me to read it, which was about her grappling because she's very big. One of her big things is women being comfortable with their bodies. Yeah. And she always campaigns on that and she's very big on, um, you know, she writes in the book about how she likes to post photos of herself without makeup on and looking pretty rough because that's what she looks like. And uh, she hasn't had any Botox or fillers or plastic surgery, any of that sort of jazz. And yet she writes about... She's got a face like a smacked ass. <laughs> she really, she <laughs> really should get onto that, quite frankly. If you're listening there, love, come on. Um, she... Anyway, I've always really admired that about her, but she writes a bit about how she struggles with that and how she sees women in her circle do it and then she feels conflicted about it in herself. Anyway, she had some amazing insights into how she felt she would sort of think oh I feel sad for that woman because she must feel bad about herself because she feels like she has to inject some stuff in her face and she must look in the mirror and feel a bit sad and that makes me feel sad for her and then Mia thought Mia sort of came to the realization oh no actually I'm not angry or sad about women I'm angry at society and I'm sad for myself actually that I feel the pressure to do that if I want to still be considered to have any currency basically um, so yeah, there was lots of bits that I found really insightful and moving. One of my favorite, I mean, there was lots of bits in it too that made me laugh, but one of my, it's very funny. Yeah. She is an extremely funny girl. Um, there's this bit where she asked her son to write a chapter yeah. about her as a mother and which was <laughs> It's just brave. a sort of a litany of Mia's failure to deliver <laughs> me to birthday parties with a present <laughs> and just like how this kid had just evolved into this incredible lift organising machine. And like three might, weeks out from a party, you'd be like, can I go with you and your mum? <laughs> might I also add that Luca is the most extraordinary person and if that's how you get a kid to turn out like Luca, I'm just going to stop sending my kid to birthday parties <laughs> with presents and dropping him off on time. Because Luca, like I'll tell you about Luca, he once for Mia's birthday, she invited like 20 female friends around just to have a girls' night and Luca and one of his friends cooked for everyone and did the whole thing when this is when they're in grade 11 or 12 or something Jesus. they did the whole thing so Mia could have a nice birthday it was I thought it was amazing anyway um Luca writes in oh, Mia's, he can really write he can yeah. really write he writes in sort of Mia's breezy sort of very easily readable style um and so he writes about Mia as his mum and how she's pretty shambolic and he's actually fairly organized and how he found it having her as a shambolic mum but basically how 
at the end of it, he just absolutely loves it a bit and that she, he thinks she's been an incredible mum and um, how they just have the most fantastic relationship. And, yeah, it was amazing and I think it must have been um, pretty full-on for me to read it. Yeah. Um, but I really, as a reader, enjoyed having it there and it added a sort of perspective that I thought was fascinating. I remember, do you remember a few years back there was a big, like a cover story about Mia Friedman in Good Weekend, I think. Mm-hmm. And it was, like I read it very, with huge interest because I, I do think she's really fascinating and I, I think that, you know, she, she is, um, she has the capacity for innovation and... Um, ideas. And She's an ideas constant machine. change in you know her business life and mm. still keeps up this quite frenetic creative output. She's got hundreds of children and you know and obviously an ongoing problem with anxiety, which mm. she writes about yeah. really interestingly um, in this book, I think. And there is this kind of real. There's a bit of a thing with writing about anxiety going on at the moment. I don't know if you've read Sarah Wilson's new book, but no. I've, I'm, I'm just starting that now, so I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to reading that one as well. Um, but I, um, I remember reading this profile of her, and it was so interesting because the main takeout of it, like it was all about um, her and her business and her husband, Jason, um, and she writes in this book about how they actually got married and then they had Luca and then they split up. Mm. And there is, like, it's quite um, a detailed account, so mm. quite an interesting um, story about this relationship, which is a really successful business relationship, but also is a personal loving relationship, which has like, had some real issues on the way um, and is fully recla- recounted in... in um, Friedman-esque, full disclosure style. (laughs) But the story that I remember reading was kind of also about about the extent to which Friedman kind of maintained relationships. There were lots of, like, to the extent that there were kind of derogatory voices, they were from people that had worked for her who felt like they'd, you know, been her best friend and then been discarded, you know. Or, you know, there was someone who hadn't been invited to the wedding of something or, you know, like there was... It was all about, you know... Well, you know, she is this um, successful businesswoman, but is there, you know, can she maintain relationships? But when I, I remember when I read that, I thought that the people that had fallen out with her seemed to be people that had come into her orbit because they were massive admirers from afar and worshippers from afar, and that then they felt like the reality didn't match up to what was in their head. And I felt like, yeah, well, that's because she's an actual real person, and so when you when you often admire someone from afar, you're not cognizant of what the full person is like no no one can meet the expectations I mean as difficult as it as it is to believe love there'd be people who'd meet you and they'd find you very disappointing in reality (laughs) (laughs) look I know it's difficult to wrap your head around that I just don't understand what you just said I just I don't register I lost you but the thing that I thought at the time when I read it I just thought god how bizarre that I just could not imagine a a cover article about a male, you know, entrepreneur that would be so concerned with, yes, but is he still best friends with the guy that he hired, you know, yeah. um, you know, when he was starting out sort of thing. Like, it, it was so telling. I just thought, God, it's, I mean, I found it super interesting. I thought it was a really good and interesting article. But it, it also made me just think, oh, my God, like, 
as if we'd be having this sort of forensic discussion of who got invited to a wedding or, you know, all of that sort of stuff, if, well, if you were dealing with a, a, a bloke entrepreneur? I thought exactly the same thing. There was a piece that came out in, um, one, I think it was Stella, the Sunday, oh, yeah. one of the Sunday mm. newspaper magazines. I think that's where it was. Um, about Mia last weekend or a couple of weekends ago, and uh, it focused on the thing about that the son had written. And um, it, it sort of referenced that, Sometimes he got sent to school and she'd forget to pack his sandwich and his lunch or something, but yeah. he sometimes was sent to school without lunch. And um, I I just thought, and in fact, somebody emailed me to say, wow, like, you know, what was she thinking that she forgot to send a uh, kid to school with lunch? And I replied and said, um, well, why isn't anyone saying how come Jason didn't have the lunches ready? You know what I mean? Yeah, like it's yeah. a certain prism and sure. a way that you look at how and that kid's kick it, cooking uh, dinner for 20 drunk ladies. <laughs> Make your own know, lunch, Luca. Time is Lazy bum. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there is a different way, I think, of um, looking at women. But look, it's a fascinating... And I think the reason that Mia has a large fan base is because of that honesty. But it does come at a cost, which is yeah. that people read it and say oh, I don't like you or you do this wrong or I judge you for that. Yeah, and, and she's kind of absolutely gets the stuffing kicked out of her every now and again because yeah. of something, you know, either like ill-considered or even just sort of, you know, she, she's she's never not interesting in a television interview or something mm. like that. She's always got something that's a bit provocative or whatever and I don't think it's, you know, disingenuous. No. I think it's just she's quiet and effervescent interesting person to listen to yeah. and she's also had this kind of bizarre set of life experiences that make her interesting I think yeah. and I think the other thing also that I find fascinating about her is that you know Mamma Mia now has been going for a long time it was well out yeah. in front of the you know it was sort of a blog when um you know, that was sort of in its infancy and then it was a sort of online business before when, when other people were not yeah. in that space at all. Um, and so I sort of admire that that was done so early and sort of so out there. Um, and her account of starting it, you know, having kind of basically left Channel 9 in this terrible, after this terrible misadventure and feeling just incredibly kicked around and as though she'd completely mm. failed mm. and then basically writing this blog in a PJs feeling miserable and wondering if it was all worth it. I mean, you know, it's... One of the other criticisms that I sometimes see made of her on social media is, oh, well, yeah, but you, you come from a rich family, your dad's absolutely loaded and so you've had a head start and all that sort of stuff. Um, sure. You come from a wealthy family, you've had a good education, you've had a privileged background and all that stuff. That doesn't negate your creativity, your hard work, your um, nous, your business sense, all of that sort of stuff. And so I find that criticism also a little bit um, sort of just churlish or something to me. Yeah, it, although I think that certainly if, you, if you're familiar with the topography of entrepreneurism and success and you you know you know all sorts of people I think that that is an assistance when you are undertaking something like a you know yourself starting a business like I, I don't know that you would necessarily have the cojones for forging through you know serial well not serial in her case but you know you, you, you have a sort of high profile misadventure at the nine network you know 
to pull yourself out of that, it's, you know, it's partly attributable to, um, you know, the networks that you have. And so yeah, on. yeah, um, that's true. But I don't think it negates any of her actual achievement. You know what I mean? Like, I think she has no, been incredible. Phenomenal. She's completely a phenomenon. And she's, you know, um, like I said, I, I can't think of anyone like her. Yeah. And I also just really love the book. thought it was good. Yeah, same. I, th- mm. I found it very, very interesting. Um, hey, I interviewed... Patty Smith, um, last week or the week. Yes, of course. You went to see her. I did not. Oh, I thought you did. I was meant to. Ah. And then uh, just various adverse events um, in my life (laughs) intervened over the last week or two and did not get there. So I had a ticket and did not go because... Bollocks. She was really interesting. I'm not a gigantic fan. I'm not very familiar with most of her work, um, but I know she has a massive following and I liked Just Kids, the book that she wrote yeah, about. Yeah, I know. I remember you really raving about it. Yeah, it was really great. Um, so I was happy to do the interview with her. She interestingly said, no makeup, no lighting, which was interesting for me because I thought, well, there's no way I can go with makeup because... Yeah. You'll you just can't look build like a dolly bird. Exactly, no rapport. She won't be able to warm to me. But of course, I don't have the guts to go on telly with no makeup. So I said to the makeup artist, "Can you just make me look like I'm wearing no makeup?" Exactly, <laughs> make me just look like a half decent version of myself, and so that she won't know I've got no makeup. Um, and yeah, but she was super. Um, she was also like, it's funny you're just talking about Mia. Patty Smith was also quite open. Because sometimes people that are very famous like that and have been famous for a long time can be very guarded. She was the opposite. She was really open. She talked a lot about, you know, at the Nobel Prize ceremony, how she mucked up the yeah. song. <laughs> so she talked in a lot of detail about that and how she felt. And she said she felt like a just six-year-old who wanted to run away. But then the next morning, everyone made her feel. She's written very eloquently in The New Yorker about this too. She said she was at breakfast and a group of scientists who were there, they'd gotten some prize for something they'd done, came up to say they felt like, what happened to her on stage symbolised their own struggle and, you know, one step forward, one step back sort of thing. And so she ended up feeling... It was interesting when you watch the YouTube of it where she mucks up as well because you see on her face the moment where she sort of has a bit of a stumble. And you think, oh, can I get away with it? Yeah, Yeah. and then she decides not. And you see her face, it just, like, crumbles. Like, she she realises and it's just, like, this moment of embarrassment, humiliation, disappointment, all just crosses her face in this one moment. And then she says, I'm sorry, we have to stop. And then she, in this very sort of small voice, says, I'm really sorry, I'm so nervous. It's quite hard watching. But then um, the whole room applauds. And it's interesting when you watch it because the feeling almost in the room is like, it's quite warm when everyone applauds, very warm. But it's almost like relief has flooded through the room because it's this very, very formal, serious proceeding. And then all of a sudden, instead of being formal, it feels human again. Yeah, because you're at the Nobel Prize ceremony, so everyone is pretty much, you know. Yeah, it's all very important people and stuff. I was thinking on the weekend, I was at the Logies, and I had to... (laughs) Speaking of... Wow, first recorded instance of someone thinking while at the Logies. (laughs) (laughs) And also, I love the segue from the Nobel Prize. I know, it's just like our own Nobels, (laughs) which I attended recently. No, I had to go because I presented an award. I, I know you did, go. and I, you looked so beautiful. Now, I know that that is a very tragic and shallow thing to say, but 
it was a very good look. Thank you. It was a good night for you. Done by makeup <laughs> artist at work, Christopher Sell, who's done you for Kitchen Capital. Yeah, he's, he's, he's just a, good man. a genius of a bloke. Um, uh, I had to go to a rehearsal during the day, and so I was given a lanyard. So the people escorting me mm. had lanyards that said crew, and mine said VIP. And I thought, what an offensive term that is, yeah. like a very important person, that I'm walking around wearing a lanyard that says I'm a very important person. I found it very off-putting. I love that you had a lanyard on. Was it was like a glamyard. <laughs> um, Did you have a nice night, though? Was it a bit... Um, I looked for you in all the best dress lists because I thought that you were the best dressed. But then <laughs> oh, it was just one. all these real housewives and people wearing packing tape. And I'm like, God, jeez, this is a shocker. Where's my friend? <laughs> um, it was funny because I had to walk along the red carpet where they take your photos. Oh, that's the one where they just like reach around you to like photograph someone more interesting. Well, or... my friend Lisa Miller, who's the ABC's London correspondent, attended the Logies a few years ago and a photographer yelled at her, Get out of the way, you nobody. <laughs> um, I went a few years ago because I was nominated as best new talent, best newcomer. <laughs> I'd just turned 40, so I was doing pretty <laughs> best new anything. I also had like a 12-week-old baby. <coughs> oh, dear. And Jeremy came along and stayed in the hotel room up above where the awards were oh. happening with the baby yowling. And I just went up and down that lift feeding that baby uh, and just, just it was not oh, great. What a nightmare. It wasn't great. And um, I did, they, they make you walk along this red carpet and then, then exactly. there's this sort of weird uh, mounting yard sort of thing. Yeah. Where exactly. <laughs> it's like a sort of wooden thing that no shit, you have to kind of like step up on. And then there's all these photographers' stations and so you have to like go to position one and yep, then position two. Exactly. And so that everybody can get photographs of you. And you're supposed to like pose or something. But in my case, the, all the photographers would just go, ah, and like just wave. Same. They're like, just keep moving. Yeah. Keep moving. <laughs> we won't be troubling you. I'm like, oh my God, it's like just being at some sort of it's sex auction where nobody. Because they even decide. Wants, yeah. So for me, like some of them wanted me, some of them didn't want me. It was just, it's and horrible. Then, and then some of them just like, Take your picture, but in a way where they're not even looking through the view. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're just, just like, like oh, it's like a, it's a pity shag. <laughs> so I had to do that. Did you get and a few shags? Oh, some chick who I don't recognise. He was probably a gold logo, you know what I mean? But yeah. She was on the thing, and she was wearing a dress with tassels all over it. And so every time she'd post, okay. she'd sort of it down. shimmy around. <laughs> exactly. She'd shimmy around so her tassels were like flipping around, and I was just looking at it trying to have on my face what I thought was a neutral, pleasant face. And then I would have to like then try to pose. And I don't know how to pose. And so I was trying to remember, you told me that Celia Piccola. Celia Piccola told me. And yeah, I can't she told remember me what it was. Me either. And yeah. I was no, racking no, my I do brains. remember. It was something about putting your, you've got to put your, okay, no, I do know. You've got to put your hand on your hip, right. but not on your hip. You've got to put it on the waist. Like, oh, higher up. So higher up right. than you would ordinarily ever put it. If and you wasn't had... there weight on one foot or something? Like you don't stand oh, straight or something? It was like, hang on, I'm doing it now. So, and... Sideways. Maybe sideways? And a bit twisty. There was Make your waist look something... smaller. It was definitely, the thing that I retain is the, is the hand on the waist, uncomfortably high. Right. But apparently it makes your... 
I can't remember what. I don't know, waist looked smaller or something. Well, I didn't know what to do and I felt yeah. when I've seen... Sorry, I, I should have really just patched you in on that detail. Yeah. It could have really helped you out. Oh, it's just, it's so excruciating. Anyway, I got to the other end and my old boss, Sally Neighbor, who's now the EP of Four Corners, was at the far end and she was cacking herself and yeah. she said, look, I just have never seen you look quite so thunderous. <laughs> you just had to look walking along that red carpet. And I was like, oh no, I thought I had a neutral face. She was yeah, like, no, neutral you face. didn't quite I've seen have that a neutral, neutral face. <laughs> Oh my god! It's like it's like imagine from space watching that. Like if you were an alien and you were just had that some sort of human interpreter. So what's happening? What? Why is why is the lady with the fake eyelashes on um, now getting onto that piece of wood? And it, why are those other people I know, pointing their eyes at mystifying? Her? And look, it goes so long. Um, but it's it's fun. It's a fun opportunity to catch up with people from other networks that you don't get to see right. very often. So that's all good. Yeah. Um, and it's a fun opportunity to bump into people in the dunnies that you are a fan of. So I bumped into hey, Grant Danielle. Oh, wrong dunny. <laughs> I bumped into Ros Hammond, and I forget. I'm so sorry. I forget the girl's name woman, I should say, on um, Sean McAuliffe's show, Mad as Hell, the younger woman with the dark bob. Kitty. No, no, no. no. Um, Oh, I can't think. But anyway. Um, that she's a genius. They're both. Far out. Ros Hammond and that other woman on Sean McHale's show, we love you both. Anyway, they were very kind and said hello to me and were very nice. And you I said, well, I'm just going to be unable to remember your name in a future <laughs> podcast. <laughs> but you are so awesome. You are so awesome. And I do, I think that awesome. that show and they are just absolutely awesome. So that was thrilling. I made it, I think I've said on the podcast before, I made a bit of a goose myself in previous years by seeing Francis Greenslade and running over to go, oh, Francis Greenslade. He's the only person I've ever asked to have a photo really? with. Yeah, you used to flat with him. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I can tell you some stories about Francis Greenslade. Are you still friends with him? Uh, well, yes. I'm very um, pleased to see him whenever I do, but yeah. I don't really... I mean, I see him when we go to parties of mutual friends and things like that, right. but I'm not in touch with him, which is ridiculous, because right. he's like one of the world's great him. funny people, right. and I think I may still have one or two of his books from our share house, but right. don't mention that to me. <laughs> to him when you're next morning <laughs> over him at some celebrity-studded function. But I feel a bit of a bit of a you know idiot uh, complaining in any way about the Logies, because I noticed on my personal Facebook, lots of my friends who do not work in television loved the idea of that you could get dressed up and get your makeup done and all that stuff. So I feel very churlish to not be saying what a lovely treat that was. And it was a treat to get. That I was the most to be fun subjected part. subjected to some anthropological torture. <laughs> that, was, no, that was the most fun part of the day, actually, because Chris... Did you see any shock of rocks? <sighs> no, actually. Everybody basically just looks so nice these days. Like, nobody does... Leland Chin wasn't there, so there's no one dressed creatively or... What about that woman who seemed to be wearing a grizzly bear downstairs? With that gigantic yeah. thing. Look, it was like a it was like a modular lounge. It was just it was brilliant. I loved it. I don't know how she got around. I don't know. Unless I, I kept on some sort of gurney. Trains. Look, if well, she, trains was the thing. Trains were awkward. everywhere. Very awkward. If she had been at the Met Ball, that yeah. would have looked fab. Yeah, it did look fab. Um, it would have looked more fab at the Met Ball. But no, everyone just looks so. I guess everyone gets styled these days, so everyone yeah. sort of knows what they're doing. Did anyone ask who you were wearing? No, nobody did ask who I was wearing. Nobody really asked anything about me. He's <laughs> <laughs> the massive ginger. <laughs> That's right. Who's the lady who's not a size eight over there? That's really strange. Who let a redhead off the carpet? I mean, you know, there were more Asians on the carpet than redheads. If you want to talk about diversity. All right. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Me and Luke McGregor are the only oh, the only no. rangers on Australian TV. Hugh Rivington at a pinch. Yeah. <laughs> 
I've pinched that guy. <laughs> Gigantically underrepresented. Um, all right, we're at half an hour and you know Are I we? hate going over time. I know, so. but can I just um, talk about a cookbook for two seconds? Yes. Uh, just two seconds. Okay. Um, I... Oh, plus we got the nine minutes from before we started recording. I know, I know, I know. I know. It's upsetting. But so, nobody actually gets upset when it goes over except for you, basically. <laughs> Everyone else is completely fine with it. Play. So, um, this is a cookbook that I found. Uh, my friend Sue recommended it to me and I sort of made a mental note and then didn't actually follow it up until I saw it um, on sale somewhere. <laughs> and I went, oh, it's now a good investment. Yes. Um, so, it's, it's called A Modern Way to Cook by Anna Jones. Mm -hmm. It's a couple of years old and it, she is an English um, writer. The Times says, the new Nigella is unquestionably Anna Jones. What a terrible that. thing to put on the front of a book, seriously. Because, <laughs> I mean, the old Nigel is not finished or anything. <laughs> but there you go. Um, yeah. So it's very, it's a bit quinoa-ish, but... Yeah. So I'm just flicking through. Curry leaf and smoky celeriac pilaf. Mm. They're all sort of like that to pronounce. The, mm. And Buddha bowls, sorry. I disapprove of bowls. I mean... I like to eat them. I just don't want to talk to talk about goodness bowls or health bowls or anything. But smoky root tacos. Oh, I forgot too. I had a smoky root. On that <laughs> I was going to say it sounds like Logies. Oh, 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 oh. smoky yeah. root. Uh, celeriac bay and mushroom ragu. Frying pan Turkish flatbreads with spoon salad. I know it sounds irritating, but they are really good recipes. And the other thing that um, I oh god, don't even look at that. Heavenly Nut Butters. Jesus, sorry, I, I slightly want to shoot her a bit, but it, it is a good cookbook. And um, if you ignore the subject heading Goodness Bowls, which I am, um, it, she has this kind of like series of um, kind of formulae in each chapter, whether it's salads or soups or whatever, oh, yeah. where she says, well, here's how you can build your own salad. So at your desk salads, she says... Um, Step one, start with a hearty base. Pearl barley, cannellini beans, brown rice, millet, oh, yeah. torn up rye bread. Then add one or two favourite vegetables, list of vegetables that you can select. Three, add some light leaves. Four, add some crunch, toasted almonds, sesame seeds, pumpkin seeds, toasted breadcrumbs. Add some flavour, sun-dried tomatoes, capers, cornichons, feta, goat's cheese. And it's kind of a really good formula mm. for a good salad. Mm. And so it releases the reader from following the recipes and just encourages you to come up with some creative yeah, ideas. Yeah, and I, I really like that approach. It's quite a generous approach. Look, my gut feeling from every recipe title you've read is that yeah, that's just a massively annoying book. But the last time I <laughs> thought that was when you gave me community I and I just have not stopped cooking out of that book. Charred broccoli with cucumber noodles and peanut sauce. That looks delicious. That sounds pretty delicious. Yeah, actually. okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, I, I am a real thumbs up for this book. Okay. Roast Roots. <laughs> Sorry, there's just too much rooting in this book. Too much root. Um, okay, um, anyway, so I uh, I mention it because I like it. I've awesome. been working from it for a while. Very good. Are you just trying to hustle me out of here now? Aren't yes, you? I am. Okay. <laughs> See you soon.